2: From the mountains to the plains, from the desert
0: to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yamad, welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program this Wednesday, July 26. During the Cox, Green's Indigenous Affairs spokesperson shares what she hopes to see come out of the upcoming referendum on a voice to Parliament. Also last week, traditional owners in South Australia's Hyal Peninsula won a landmark legal challenge preventing the federal government from building a nuclear waste dump near Kimba. As you hear, TOs were concerned that the nuclear waste dump would impact a significant secret site of Bangalore women known as Seven Sisters Dreaming. Also on NITV Radio today, Emma Galette, an academic, lawyer and columnist, is calling on First Nations publishers... Published and non-published authors and storytellers to enter the Best Australian Yarn Competition, which for the first time will have a First Nations Prize category. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio. Bertrand Tungandami I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal Embassy erected
3: outside Parliament The native title legislation must be amended.
2: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry.
0: Bulletin Productivity Commission draft report reveals Australian governments responsible for rampant Indigenous disadvantage. New data shows inflation has slowed to 6%. And David Warner waves off retirement rumours ahead of the fifth Ashes test. The Activity Commission has released a draft report on closing the gap, finding that the four priority reforms are far from being met. The draft report found governments are not being held accountable, with examples including a lack of consultation with Indigenous communities on Northern Territory alcohol restrictions and the tightening of bail laws in Queensland. The National Agreement on Closing the Gap was committed to by all governments and the Coalition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Peak Organisations in 2020 in a bid to dismantle the entrenched inequality faced by Indigenous Australians. Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney says it's a difficult reading.
2: If there is ever an argument for the need for a voice, it is this draft report. The important thing is... To understand that what it's talking about are real people, uh, real families and real communities. It is certainly not academic uh, when you look at the difference in life expectancy uh, and babies being born at a healthy weight.
0: A record number of Australians are enrolled to vote ahead of the upcoming referendum on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament the Australian Electoral Commission estimates national enrolment rate is at 97.5%, up from 97.1% at the end of 2022. This means the 2023 referendum will have the best baseline for democratic participation than any federal electoral event in Australian history. Enrolments for Indigenous Australians and Northern Territory residents are above 90% for the first time ever. Has 60,000 more Indigenous Australians enrolled than there were at the end of last year. The Australian Capital Territory has appointed its first ever female Indigenous Supreme Court judge. Camilla Roy Woman Louise Taylor will be appointed in Canberra today. In 2018, she was appointed as the ACT's first Indigenous magistrate. The annual rate of inflation fell to 6% in the June quarter, down from 7% in March. The Bureau of Statistics has confirmed the consumer price index rose by 0.8% in the June quarter. The result confirms that prices are still drifting up but not as quickly. The biggest contributors to this increase were rents, which recorded the strongest quarterly rise since 1988. International holiday travel and accommodation, other financial services and new dwellings purchased by owner-occupiers also contributed to the June quarter result. The decreased annual headline figure shows the Reserve Bank's 12 interest rate hikes have been bringing down inflation. 46 whales have died after becoming stranded at Chains Beach in West Australia. Rescue operations resumed this morning to release the port of about 80 whales believed to be stranded 100 metres off the coast east of Albany. Wildlife scientist Dr Vanessa Pirotti has told the Seven Network, time is running out.
4: So we don't actually know why they do it, but in this case, these animals, when the moment they strand, the clock starts ticking. And it's really that time where these animals need to be assisted, if there is available logistics or resources rather. And unfortunately, with any event like this, we do see loss of life.
0: Paramedics in New South Wales are renewing industrial action to protest a 4% pay offer from the state government. Emergency responders are refusing to enter patient billing information, report performance indicators or attend special events which would place their their home station below minimum staffing levels. The Australian Paramedics Association says the action will ramp up next week when they will refuse to respond to non-emergency patient transfer jobs that could be undertaken by patient transport officers or private providers. The union says it's taking action because not enough has been done to fix the emergency in the healthcare system that was exposed in two recent New South Wales government inquiries. And Victoria is set to expand its publicly funded home birth program. The initiative is still in its planning stages but is expected to be implemented at the at leading women's facility Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne. The program already runs at John, John Connor Women's and Children's Hospital in Sunshine and has previously been available at Casey Hospital in Berwick. A resident at a regional Victoria Retirement Village has died after a fire. Police are investigating two two unit fires that broke out at the village on Royal Parade at Kilmore just after 6am this morning. Victoria Police Acting Inspector Jamie Cutler says a crime scene has been established, but the cause of the fire is yet to be determined.
1: Sadly today I need to report that we have had one elderly male uh, pass away in a house fire in Kilmore in a retirement village down this way. Um, happened at about 6.20 this morning. Emergency services were on scene quite quickly and managed to evacuate uh, about 40 people from the area to make sure that um, nobody else ended up in trouble. But unfortunately there was uh, one particular person who wasn't able to get out of the, the unit itself.
0: Prime Minister Antonio Albanese will travel to New Zealand today for a round of diplomatic talks. There, he will meet with his Kiwi counterpart, Chris Hipkins. It's Mr Albanese's first official visit to New Zealand as Prime Minister and Mr Hipkins' first trans-Tasman leaders meeting. Their discussions are expected to span defence, the rise of China and security threats facing Taiwan and North Korea. They also discussed trade ties, clean energy opportunities, and an upcoming Pacific Islands forum. Two pilots have died after their firefighting plane crashed in Greece. Both the captain and co-pilot were killed when the aircraft crashed on the island of Avia, east of Athens. Air Force officials say they were 34 and 27 year olds. It comes as firefighters have been battling to contain wildfires on the island of Rhodes for a seventh day with hundreds of tourists forced to evacuate. Tourist Gianna Spanos has told the Nine Network she's never seen anything like it.
1: I feel so sad because I was born here. I love this place. I love this village. That's why I keep
2: coming back on holidays. So when I see that, it breaks my heart,
4: because so it never happened before like that. This is the first time.
0: The United Nations is calling on Russia to rejoin the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Without it, millions are at risk of farming worldwide, as the initiative allows Russian food and fertilizer to reach global markets through Ukrainian ports. The United Kingdom's Permanent Representative to the United Nations says Russian President Vladimir Putin is dead set on causing as much suffering around the world.
1: The absurdity of using such heavy-duty weaponry to destroy food shows that weaponizing global food supplies is a calculated part of Russia's strategy. These include strikes using an unusually large number of AS-4 kitchen missiles and these are 5.5 tonne weapons which are actually designed to destroy aircraft carriers.
0: A new Australian study has found a link between food allergies in babies and an increased risk of childhood asthma. A cohort of around 3,000 children took part in the study in Melbourne. The research found babies with food allergies were four times more likely to develop asthma by the time they turned six years old compared to those without allergies. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute's associate professor, Rachel Peters, told the Seven Network both egg and peanut allergies were linked to a higher risk of asthma.
1: We have seen an increase over the last several decades And delaying the introduction of allergenic foods into the diet certainly has played a role in um, the risk of food allergy. So one of the most important messages we can get out is to introduce um, age-appropriate solids, so things like a smooth peanut butter or well-cooked egg in the first year of life to help prevent allergies.
0: Facebook's parent company, Meta, has been ordered to pay $20 million in fine over data collection on its private network app, Onavo Onavo Protect. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission took Meta to court in 2020 over the app. Both Meta and the ACCC have agreed Meta breached Australian consumer law between 2016 and 2017 over failing to make information about its data collection methods more prominent in its terms of service. And in sport, David Warner is waving off retirement rumours, rejecting suggestions the fifth Ashes Test at the Oval will be his last was previously speculated revealed he and former captain steve smith could retire after the new year's test last month but warner says that's not the case
4: no i haven't heard anything actually I haven't seen anything been on the golf golf course um no i don't have an announcement um for me it's about you know trying to work hard in the nets as i did today um potentially come out tomorrow and and yeah, um, if selected, go out there and play and try and win an Ashes series. Johnny Farnham had one last tour and kept going, so <laughs> who knows? Might have to keep you guessing.
0: The final test starts at the Oval in London on Thursday. Australia are preparing for their biggest match in four years this week, desperate to become the first tourist since Steve men in 2001 to win the Ashes in England. And having a lo- having a look at the weather around the country this Wednesday afternoon, Brougham, sunny 27, Perth, showers 15, Adelaide, sunny 17, Melbourne, partly cloudy 15, Hobart, cloudy 16, Albury-Wodonga, mostly sunny, 14 degrees, Canberra, mostly sunny as well, 16, Wollongong, sunny 21, Sydney, much the same, 20, Newcastle, mostly sunny, 20, Brisbane, partly cloudy 22, Townsville, mostly cloudy 24, Kane, showers 26 early springs sunny day 23 Darwin sunny as well 28 degrees and the Torres Strait Islands partly cloudy day ahead and the top of 29 degrees and that is NITV Radio News
1: NITV Radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or
0: anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungendame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up next, TOs in South Australia have won a landmark legal challenge preventing the federal government from building a nuclear waste dump near Kimba. As you hear, traditional owners feared the nuclear waste dump would impact a significant sacred site, bangala women known as seven sisters dreaming also on nitv radio today academic lawyer and columnist Emma galette calls first nations published storytellers to published and non-published storytellers to enter the best australian competition 2023 which for the first time will have a first nations prize category but first a story shared with us by nitv's living black program with one politician's hopes of the upcoming referendum on a voice to Parliament.
1: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
0: During the COX, Green's Indigenous Affairs spokesperson in conversation with Lynn with the living black scholar grant uh, talking about the debate around uh, the voice to Parliament is our next story. They start the conversation discussing one hot topic, the disturbing rampant racism surrounding the referendum debates, highlighting in particular one prominent example, the recent racist attacks against respected veteran First Nations. First Nations journalist Stan Grant.
2: There have been several high-profile cases of extreme language used in the debate and racism over the last few months.
3: To those who
2: have abused me and my family, I would just say, if your aim was to hurt me, would you've succeeded. What impact is that having on Aboriginal people
1: and the country as a whole? I think it's having a very devastating impact. I think we are continuing to be worn down you know our general resistance our natural resistance to all of this racism is being worn down and unfortunately it's penetrating across the mainstream media and and other places where it almost becomes normalized there's no more outrage anymore and I think what we need to do is come back to that and say this is unacceptable in 2023 in Australia how can this be acceptable How can it be socially acceptable for this type of language and this type of racism to be exerted against a group of people, the most vulnerable people in this society? The opposition leader, Peter Dutton, says the voice will
2: have an Orwellian effect. It will have an Orwellian effect where all Australians are equal but some Australians are more equal than others.
1: What do you make of that argument? Well, I would ask the uh, opposition leader to look at history and that our rights have been removed for many generations in this country. When you think about the 90, 1905 Act and how segregation, isolation, um, dispossession happened across this country, and particularly in my state of Western Australia, um, the detrimental effect that that had, there was no equality and no equity, for sure, in any of that. You know, there are over 70 pieces of legislation that determined our lives um, on a constant of us being separated based on our race. And I don't believe that this will create any further division. I think this will bring people together. This will absolutely get people to understand the importance of our history, 65,000 years of history here in Australia. We are not a young country. We are an old country and we have to honour what that means. And I think when we bring along on this journey the voice to parliament and a conversation that is about that diversity and diversity of First Nations people as the first people of this nation but also multiculturalism where we'll get closer to what this nation actually represents Do you think that
2: there is an element of racism in arguments like that?
1: Absolutely and I think um, whether people are consciously aware of it or unconsciously it is there And what we have to keep doing is calling that out. We have to keep articulating it in a way that shows it is unsafe and it's not about whether it's intended to be racist, it is about how it's been received. Well, former Prime Minister Scott
2: Morrison has warned The Voice will permanently create different rights for one group of Australians over others based solely on race.
0: Exclusive consultation rights will be granted to Indigenous Australians, not afforded to any other group of Australians.
1: What do you make of that statement? Well, I think what uh, Scott Morrison needs to realise is that the notion of terra nullius in this country was challenged by Eddie Mabo and that we've been here for such a long period of time, generations, in fact. For 60,000 years, how people have existed here in this country and that we didn't have any rights once those tall ships arrived here. They were removed. We're not getting anything extra we are getting back what we are just deserved as First Nations people of this country. And our rights deserve to be reinstated and they need deserve to be reinstated through a process in a constitution that shapes this country, that governs this country. And so now it's about the decolonising of that. And we have to set ourselves on that pathway to do that. And so people like Scott Morrison, who have... Extreme power, as a former Prime Minister, held the highest uh, power of of office in this place, should have understood the importance of rebalancing that ledger and bringing back those rights to reinstate them and give them back to to the rightful place and to the rightful people who they belong to as the traditional owners of this country and the sovereignty that we have never ceded, but we were forced to give up under those rights of the legislation that was created for us, not by us. And I think that's important for them to remember.
2: Some opponents of The Voice say that constitutional recognition will undermine our sovereignty over these lands. Do
1: you agree? No, I don't. And we, we did a piece of work on the element of sovereignty um, before we made our decision as a party room. And as the portfolio holder, I was very clear that I wanted to make sure um, we weren't ceding sovereignty as part of that. And putting us into the constitution, I don't think, uh, based on the legal advice, but also as a sovereign black woman from uh, Noongar and Yamiji Nations, that the sovereignty I carry is my birthright that's given to me by my old people to care for my country, to make sure I maintain my culture and my language. These are all things that sovereignty represents. Being able to practise those is when and how. And so that's the next element of making sure that we maintain that. And the way that we're going to be able to do that is to be recognised first and foremost. We then need to change the laws of the parliament and the policies of the day to reflect that. And I think that's the next stage of this work.
2: In April, you said that you would have to seriously consider your support for The Voice if the Prime Minister did not intervene to protect sacred Aboriginal rock art in the Pilbara. The Prime Minister hasn't intervened. Will you continue to support The
1: Voice? I will continue to support The Voice and The Voice to Parliament needs to come to life to be able to protect those. And so I will continue to support The mechanism of having a voice Uh, I certainly want to be uh, part of its development and its function and powers to ensure that it's powerful enough to do that job it has to be because we're putting a lot of effort into creating a voice to parliament we now need to see that through and make sure that truth-telling elements of the destruction of our country like Duke and Gorge but also treaty making or agreement making that happens is able to protect that and so they're the other elements that we need to make sure come to life.
2: Recently, Noel Pearson and Dr Shereen Morris wrote that the destruction of heritage at Duke and Gorge in 2020 could have been prevented
1: if the voice had been in place. Do you agree? I agree that uh, there would have been a mechanism for the voice to be able to have a representation to the government. Uh, I served on the Northern Australian Committee uh, during the final stages of the Jukin Report and understanding that that was a legal process. It was legal for the destruction of the Section 18 that was issued um, by the West Australian Government uh, the continued lack of oversight at the Commonwealth level and standalone cultural heritage legislation is the juncture we're at now, and it is a core recommendation of the Jukun report. What we need to see is the government take action on that.
2: Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney has said that a voice to Parliament would have been able to prevent the crisis in Alice Springs. As a former police officer and
1: Aboriginal liaison, what is your response to that? I absolutely agree with Minister Burney. I think that um, should we have had a voice to parliament that is able to work with grassroots um, campaigners, activists, voices in those communities, we would have been able to prevent the crisis. But Alice Springs is only one town across this whole country that this is happening in. And we need to make sure that we are working with communities right now. The voice is a complementary piece to that. We'll provide a framework for that. And what we need to do is make sure that we are looking across the spectrum of all those social issues that are the legacy pieces of colonisation in this country. And we need to be understanding what the trauma responses need to be in those communities. And that it's the answer is not more police. certainly not police coming in and continuing to incarcerate our young people and to continue to re-traumatise them. You are also an
2: advocate for First Nations women. You've campaigned for an inquiry into missing and murdered women and have done extensive research into domestic and family violence in in our communities. As a single black mum, do you believe the voice to parliament will bring about significant change in these areas for women? Absolutely. And I'm
1: hoping that that's at the forefront. So the voice to parliament absolutely should be able to work on some of those issues um, in making sure that we achieve social justice and making sure that we are able to provide some of those practical solutions um, right up front, but also some of the longevity um, around a blueprint for the future. We should be able to create that for the next generation of children who will be born into a circumstance in this country of disadvantage we should be able to turn that around. And that is my hope by having a voice to Parliament. If the referendum is
2: successful, what would it mean
1: personally for you? I think it would be a a huge uh, celebration for me and my family. My family haven't had their rights acknowledged. And so to be in the Constitution, I think, would be something quite significant. Um, it means that we are finally seen in this country. And I think at a very personal level, it means that we're able to bring black voices into this place that are not just elected members. And we quite often see advocates and, uh, you know, lobbyists and allies come in here during the times uh, that we are sitting. But to have that as a permanent feature in a structure that cannot be removed is so important to us. And we have to keep striving for that. And we have to make sure that the result of that referendum is yes.
2: What if Australia votes no?
1: What will the next step be for our people? Essentially, we will be let down and we'll feel let down by a process that uh, had an opportunity in that. And I think lots of people will feel like, where do we go from
2: here Noel Pearson has said a failed referendum would be a complete tragedy and that he will be silenced. Do you share his fears?
1: i do I do share some of Noel's views, and I think that, as I said, that hopelessness will come into play for our people. We will be let down. Um we put all of our hope into what governments could do to elevate our voices. Um, There's a lot of talk about self-determination, particularly in this place. And so I want to see that come to life. I want to see a mechanism that will allow us to continue the work. And my belief is that's the Makarata Commission. The Makarata Commission will see through telling the true history of Australia, like we have commenced in the Australian War Memorial around frontier wars. There are important things that help us to shape the nation's view about our history, our shared history. Black and white, and if we can do uh, that work and continue it on into agreement making uh, through a treaty process or several treaties, then we are getting the work done. When we won't be silenced. But we need government's commitment right now to make sure that that work starts. In 2020, you said that if you were successfully
2: elected to the Senate, you would campaign for a treaty for First Nations people.
1: Is treaty still firmly on the agenda for the Greens Party? Absolutely, and we will continue to pursue an, a federal treaty uh, with First Nations people. Um, that the government should be striving for this. We're the only Commonwealth country that doesn't have a treaty with its First Peoples, and so I think the job, the first job of the uh, newly elected Voice, I hope, um, post referendum, will be pursuing that treaty. The day after the referendum vote, how do you think you'll be feeling? Well, I hope that I'm going to be uh, over the moon, Carla. I really do. I really hope that I'll be celebrating that we get a win uh, in in the referendum and that we will have a voice to parliament. And so I'm an absolute realist that I can't put all my eggs in that basket, And but I will be doing everything in my power to continue to support the campaigns on the ground for a yes vote, Um, in the referendum, and as will my other party room colleagues. Well, Dorinda
2: Cox, it's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and all the very best. Thank you. Thanks, Carla.
0: And that was uh, Living Black's Carla Grant and her guest, uh, Indigenous Affairs uh, Spokesperson for the Greens Party, Dorinda Cox. You can watch the full episode of Living Black on SBS On Demand. We must now go to a break, but stay with us, because when we come back, well, we'll have a story about traditional owners in South Australia who've just won a landmark court case against the federal government's plan to build a nuclear waste dump near a sacred site. Mm. And coming up next, traditional owners on South Australia's Al Peninsula say a federal court ruling stopping a plan to build a radioactive waste dump is a positive outcome for all traditional owners. The Australian Conservation Foundation has welcomed the decision and hopes the, the federal government does not appeal it.
1: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
0: Last week the Bangala people on South Australia's peninsula won a legal challenge stopping the federal government from building a nuclear waste facility near Kimba. The traditional owners feared the build would impact a significant secret site for Bangala women known as Seven Sisters Dreaming. Speaking outside court, Bangala elder Linda Dea expressed relief that the secret site would not be disturbed.
2: It actually belongs to, the servant, uh, to us, at uh, the bungalow Women. Um, it's a significant site, and I'm glad that they're not going to destroy anything around in that area.
0: The federal court ruling is significant in the broader Australian social and environmental context. David Sweeney is the nuclear policy advisor for the Australian Conservation Foundation. He says the government's plan was fundamentally flawed and that it took a deficient approach. The
4: Kimber Dump is now over. That's a really good step because the most, you know, an important step along the way to doing something right is to avoid doing something wrong. And the Kimber Plan was wrong in intent, in process, and in what the outcome would have been.
0: The Foundation views the court ruling as a new beginning.
4: What the federal court's decision has done is give us an opportunity to stop the division And to instead inject some responsibility, some respect and some recognition into this debate about how we manage this stuff into the future. So we're calling on the federal government to say, absolutely, Kimber's gone and we're going to do things differently and better into the future.
0: The federal government could appeal the ruling. In a statement, Federal Labor Minister for Resources Madeleine King has said the court's decision will be reviewed in detail speaking outside court the chairman of the bangala determination Aborigin- aboriginal corporation jason bilney was nevertheless jubilant
1: the lesson is it's about truth telling you can go on about you know you can go on about the voice but it's about it's about listening to the first nations people and here we are today and we've
0: prevailed and we've won and this story was brought to us by Contamari crofts and felicity ogilvy for sbs news
1: Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
4: For many office workers, the traditional five day work week hasn't fully returned after COVID lockdowns.
1: I do three days in the office and
2: two days at home. I, I think it'll become uh, five days in the office pretty soon. I've only just started my job, so I'd rather go in a bit more regularly. Um, But I think that, you know, I'm pretty self-motivated, so I like to be able to have that option to work from home,
4: definitely, yeah. But many city-based businesses are pushing to get bums back on seats. Among them is ComBank, which has put staff on notice that 50% attendance is mandatory from Monday. The finance sector union representing bank workers is taking the matter to the Fair Work Commission. The union's Wendy Streets says it's too costly for staff who have become accustomed to work from home arrangements. So the expense and the distance that many, many workers have to travel um, to get to work when they're forced back to the office is
2: just another pressure, another financial pressure that our members are saying, this could break this. This could actually take any spare money that we've got and take it away. And why do I have to do that when I'm working productively from home
4: ComBank is defending the move, saying the days can be averaged out over a month. In a statement, the bank says the approach gives the majority of their people access to the benefits of a physical workplace and the advantages of remote work. In contrast, National Australia Bank has agreed to allow fully remote work for certain roles under a new enterprise agreement, along with a 17.5% pay rise over four years. While many people are enjoying the savings that come from remote work arrangements, they're having an economic impact elsewhere by reducing demand for office space and sucking customers away from central business districts. Cafe owner David Montoya says while business has picked up since the pandemic, key work from home days are starting to impact his day-to-day.
3: So it's a lot better for us, but Mondays and Fridays is still a day, couple of days that the people's really Decided hard to stay at home, so it's a little bit tough those couple of days, but any other day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's really good.
4: Data from global commercial real estate group JLL indicates that commercial space for lease has risen to a 12-month high in the nation's two largest CBDs. Both Sydney and Melbourne are seeing increases to office vacancy rates over the three months to June. And that may only get worse after the Community and Public Sector Union secured a deal to allow staff to work from home permanently unless there are clear business reasons why they can't. Hannah Kwan, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook.
0: As you just heard that uh, story about how banks are rolling back, uh, practices uh, of working from home that had been established, uh, especially following the COVID-19 pandemic, was brought to us by uh, SBS's newsroom. It's now time to step aside for another break. And when we come back, conversation with lawyer, academic and columnist Emma Galette, talking about the best Australian yen a competition that uh, offers an opportunity for First Nations storytellers to shine. The Best Australian competition is just around the corner and this year the event includes the inaugural First Nations Storytelling Prize. Joining us on NITV radio to explore the most exciting storytelling competition in the country is uh, lawyer and academic Emma Gallet. Emma, thanks for joining us on Radio. And can you tell us about the Best Australian Yarn Competition? Who is it for? And uh, what are the changes for this year?
3: Yeah, so the Best Australian Yarn is open now and it's a national competition. The whole competition is open to everyone. But this year we have the inaugural First Nations Storytelling Prize. So that's for First Nations people from around Australia. Um, anyone can enter over the age of 12 years old. So it's really exciting and Um, The winner of the First Nation Storytelling Prize is also eligible to win the overall prize, um, which is $50,000. It's the largest prize pool of any short story award in the country and um, the stories only have to be a 1,000 words as a minimum, so 1,000 to 2,500 words. So, yeah, it's exciting and it's a great opportunity for any young Aboriginal aspiring authors or anyone that wants to put a story out there that they have written.
0: Now We've had you in our programs uh, talking uh, about tough subjects like uh, human rights issues, native title and uh, other legal matters of uh, national interest. How did you get involved in the Best Australian Neon competition?
3: For me, it was really important for me to do writing at the West Australian because I was able to give an Indigenous perspective on issues that affected us. And what normally happens is, A lot of the time, sometimes stories are written about Indigenous people, but not by Aboriginal people. And because of that, I'm able to share my perspective on lots of different really um, legislative changes that we've had or issues of really national significance. I thought that being a part of a storytelling prize was amazing because it gives an opportunity for all of of our Aboriginal people across Australia to share a story in their own words, in the way they want to tell it from their perspective. It doesn't have to be long and it's open to using whatever language you want. And that is so important because we have such a depth and breadth of storytelling across all of our history and it's our culture. Like our oral storytelling has been told for millennia and like since time immemorial. And it's how we to educate our young people. It's how we teach them a, a maybe a really important lesson about life is through a story. And so for people being able to share that now in their own words and for everyone else to be educated about is really vital and important, and just such an important initiative. So, I feel very um, excited to be a part of it.
0: Based on your expertise and uh, your areas of work, uh, one can uh, guess which areas you may want to write about if you are to make an entry. What will be working on in the Best Australian Young uh, competition?
3: I will be um, one of the judges for the prize, which is really exciting as well because it just gives an o- opportunity for every other Aboriginal person over 12 to enter. And it can be on any topic, whatever people want to write from fantasy to um, something like maybe related to the land or the beach or um, or something related to um, like a childhood sort of um, storyline or anything. It can be related to anything. So I think That's why it's so um, exciting because there's no limit on what the topic you can write about and all the genre. Yeah, writing 1,000 to
0: 2,500 words uh, can be hard, but it's quite accessible to many people. But the challenge, I guess, would be to squeeze in as many ideas and concepts uh, while remaining informative, entertaining and engaging at the same time.
3: Yeah, and I think that's why it's just really great because – Our stories have impact and when you're able to tell stories, you're able to touch the hearts and minds of people as well and you're able to influence and you're able to share experiences and it also is a form of education. And it's just depending on what words you use, the tone, the language, the way that you go to convey your message, it can make a really big difference on making people um, either jump on and support your course or not. And so it does make a really big difference. So you're right in saying um, the stories, yes, they. there's lots of different ways you can write it. Um, and even with um, Aboriginal people, like we use a lot of our own language when we're talking. And it would be nice to see language used in the stories as well because that's who we are and sharing that with other people in the country is just also a form of reconciliation and a form of education and sharing the way that um, we perceive the world.
0: Now, on the downside of including so many languages, uh, that would be costly to have all the works translated uh, and examined, I guess would be turn out to be a costly exercise. Yeah, I think
3: if we have a translation as well in English, that would be brilliant because we have, what, over 500 different language groups across Australia, Um and so it would be very hard as well to be able to translate that when we're um if i'm judging over from over in wa and the language is um, a, a language from queensland that obviously i don't know so <laughs> yeah that's right
0: yeah yeah that that, that would be really challenging and uh, what are the organisations backing the best australian competition
3: yeah so this year we were really excited because navitas is our main sponsor and They came on board and they said um, that they wanted to have a First Nations storytelling competition, which was great because it gives our young people and adults an opportunity to have their own category and share their stories, which is so important as well, because it recognises the importance of Indigenous storytelling, our culture, and us as um as having our own category so it's exciting um and navitas are brilliant and we're really excited to have them on board as our sponsor
0: and can you give us some uh, practical information and details on how to enter the competition and uh, also if there's any form of support for potential entrants who may need help in their entry process
3: yeah, so we have a website um, and it's called The Best Australian Yarn. So if you just put that into Google or you could put the bestaustralianyarn.com.au, all of the information's online, um, the closing day is in the, in early August as well. So there's plenty of time for people to enter. And we have frequently asked questions as well. Um, and it's pretty simple. You just need to write your story and then log on, create an account and then upload it. But if you have any questions as well, um, there's you're able to um, reach out to either myself. Um, I can give you my details to reach out to, to me as well. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Um, and, yeah, excited to see the entries that come through.
0: Now, Emma Ghaled, before we part, any message you'd like to send to our listeners in the community?
3: Um, I think that this is just very exciting. It's a great opportunity for young people to share their stories, and it's a really good opportunity for um, young aspiring authors to to share what um, they're doing and what they write about, and it's really accessible, too, being only a minimum of a 1,000 words. And... So I encourage everyone to enter if you feel that you have a willingness and appetite to. um, And, yeah, I look forward to reading them.
0: Emma Gallet, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today about this exciting storytelling competition the best Australian yarn competition
3: oh thank you for having me
0: and that was uh, Mitch tambo's uh, "Yoga La Yuligi, his uh, latest uh, single a really anthemic uh, song and that's all from us uh, on NITV Radio this Wednesday afternoon I'm Bertrand Tung and thanking you for your company today we'll be back on Friday with more stories and news from right across the country, till next time bye for now, Yellow.